Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Gabe Friedman, and you're listening to Down to Business. I spoke to three guests this week, and the theme, not for the first time, is the green economy. But this time it's about the uncertainty. We have a carbon tax now, but will that last forever? What if the government changes? These are the types of questions that matter as Canada seeks to transition away from fossil fuels. As always, the interviews are edited for clarity and brevity. I start with an interview with Jan Gorski, director of the Pembina Institute's oil and gas program. The Pembina Institute is a think tank in Alberta that just released a report that notes that oil and gas companies are in the midst of record profits. But what's happening to that money? Here's what he told me. You know, this is really a record profit year for the oil sands and oil companies around the world, really. And typically what happens is in a boom year, they'll invest some of that money back into their business and they'll give some of that money back to their investors. So now what we're seeing is the pathways aren't really investing that money back into the business in terms of increasing production. And this could be because investors are hesitant. You know, the fact that there's momentum on electric vehicles and that we're undergoing a transition and they might be uncertain about what the demand for oil will be in the future. And so what I would expect to see is that if they're not reinvesting into their business in the form of increasing production, they would invest to decarbonize that production. But what we're seeing is most of that money is going back to investors. Gorski, in particular, took aim at the Pathways Alliance, which is six companies that operate about 95% of Canada's oil sands production. More than a year ago, the Pathways Alliance pledged to cut oil sands carbon emissions to net zero by 2050 and to cut 22 megatons of carbon emissions by 2030. But no major projects have been announced yet. We wanted to put some scrutiny to how much progress has been made so far. And what we found is that we don't actually have any more detail on what those plans look like. We don't have a sense of where the carbon capture projects will take place. And we haven't seen the investment decisions in the context of a year where this industry is seeing record profits. I should say it's also not just carbon capture and storage. There are other solutions in the space that are easier and and can be acted on quicker that we also haven't seen progress on yet. So you have energy efficiency projects, you have solvents where instead of using steam to extract the oil from the ground, you basically use liquids. So things like that. Now, let me just say, a Pathway spokesman sent me a lengthy email that said, among other things, that studies are underway, an application has been submitted to the Alberta government for a large carbon capture project, and that a lot of other things are happening. But the Pathway spokesman also said that the federal government has proposed a tax credit that would allow companies to write off some of the cost of building a carbon capture project, yet there's no actual legislation yet, which suggests that they're waiting until that policy becomes official because there's a lot of money at stake. And that's a theme in this show, that there needs to be regulatory certainty for the green transition to work and all the challenges to that. For Gorski, he said there's some urgency to getting this right now. 
we're heading in this direction. The energy transition is happening. And we can see that the uptake of electric vehicles is starting to accelerate at an exponential pace. So the other half of this is that as that happens, the demand for oil is likely to peak and start to decline before the end of this decade. That's what a lot of the global scenarios from even oil companies like BP and Equinor and the International Energy Agency are saying. And so that environment for oil production is going to become much more competitive. And companies that not only can produce oil at a low cost, but increasingly carbon intensity and emissions performance is becoming a more important metric. But I also spoke to Craig Dalinowski, managing partner of Carbon Infrastructure in Calgary, which has traditionally been an investor in oil and gas projects, but is now looking to make investments in carbon capture projects. So, you know, we've been running private equity funds that have focused on oil and gas in Western Canada. And we are currently a review. There is no alternative to fossil fuel, but there is an alternative to putting CO2 up into the atmosphere. So that's where carbon capture comes from. It's uh, CO2 emissions, which are the, the problem uh, that's causing the accumulation of CO2 in the atmosphere is the cause of the greenhouse gas effect. When we use hydrocarbons, for example, like natural gas, when we make things like ammonia fertilizer, which is why we have 8 billion people in the world, is because we use fossil fuels in our food production. In that process, rather than the CO2 being emitted into the atmosphere, we can capture it, uh, we can compress it, and we can store it permanently in the subsurface. And so we, uh, with carbon capture, are able to continue to use fossil fuels and not put CO2 up into the atmosphere. And, you know, one day over time, as wind and solar and nuclear and other technologies evolve, you know, those technologies will gain market share. And that's a good thing. But in the here and now, uh, you know, we, we have ways to avoid putting CO2 into the atmosphere. Where do you come in as an investor on this? Where do you make returns? So there are industrial processes like uh, fertilizer production, like hydrogen uh, production, like electricity production. And so essentially what we are aiming to do is install equipment to capture uh, the CO2 from the exhaust gases from those processes, transport the CO2 to the place that we would inject the CO2 back into the subsurface. And so we'll store it, you know, two kilometers underground, and the CO2 will permanently stay down there. Basically, that uh, those series of assets, the capture, the transportation, and the wellhead, those are the assets that we want to invest in. And so we've called that sort of general class uh, carbon infrastructure. His fund pays for the cost of installing all this carbon infrastructure, and then they get the value of storing that carbon. So as long as there's a carbon tax that is higher on a per ton basis than what it costs to capture a ton of CO2, his fund can make money because emitters will pay them to capture that CO2 for them so that they don't have to pay the carbon tax. But there's a problem. After many years of court battles with provinces, Canada now has a carbon tax. But if the current federal government is swept out of power, there's no guarantee that the new government would continue to have a carbon tax. And if there's no carbon tax, there's no way for an investor to have certainty that if they put hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars into building a carbon capture project, 
that there will be a carbon tax for long enough for them to get a sufficient return on that investment. And the catch on all of this is that the U.S. recently passed this huge bill called the Inflation Reduction Act, which guarantees a carbon price for basically a decade. The details are complicated, but what's important is that investors in carbon capture projects will be able to achieve return for years into the future. We, our team is located in the United States and in Canada, so the United States you know, basically made this commercially functional you know, weeks ago, and Canada is still not there. But we have been investing into engineering and project design. You know, these projects don't just happen on a whim. You know, there's significant amounts of engineering and design work uh, that go into these industrial processes so that they're safe and they're going to work properly. And there's a regulatory process involved. So we have been investing in that. But the shovels in the ground on big projects, both in the United States and Canada, have, are not yet happening. I hope that changes soon. It, to finance a carbon capture and storage project in Canada, because the federal government can change, and you know we could have a new government that does not agree with cranking the carbon tax up to 170 bucks a ton because of social challenges with that, you know, the whole works. I mean, inflation's already a problem. And so if the carbon tax, you know, almost triples from here, there's going to be additional inflationary pressures in the economy. So it's politically risky. And so in Canada, for, you know, an investor to take that risk on might be okay with like a small little project or something. But, you know, these carbon capture projects are billion dollar type projects. And so- wow. Yeah, they, they need to have normal, traditional corporate finance, fiduciary duty. There's no shortcutting it. It needs to be done properly and with like clear assurance that the economic case is there. And, and really, so what we're advocating for is we're saying, look, federal government, this is your policy. Underwrite it. Provide a contract that says that if a future government changes the carbon price, that you guarantee me the carbon price that is the current policy. And so if someone does want to change it, they'll have to then tell the voters, tell Canadians, you know, why there's a a big bill from the federal government to all these projects who, you know, were relying on that carbon. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is amazing because policies around climate change can move so slowly. Years fighting about the legality of a carbon tax. And then suddenly, a carbon tax is declared legal, and the battle lines have totally shifted. I also spoke to Navdeep Baines, the Canadian liberal politician who served as Minister of Innovation, Science, and Industry from 2015 to 2021. He said now that the U.S. has passed this bill, the ball is in the current Canadian government's court. So the U.S. has taken a very comprehensive approach when it comes to providing uh, tax credits for a range of technologies, carbon capture, utilization and storage, battery storage, hydrogen, direct air capture. 
And I think it's incumbent upon us in Canada to recognize, look, we've done a lot of great things in this space. You know, we've introduced most recently the growth fund that's going to allocate capital towards some of these technologies. The strategic innovation fund that I started, the Net Zero Accelerator, has more capital in it, about $12 billion, to, again, deploy towards clean technologies. And even recently, the Canadian government introduced investment tax credits for carbon capture, utilization, and storage. And my thinking is, let's examine what's happened in the U.S. because if we're not thoughtful about how we approach their tax policy, we can see a fair amount of investments going to the U.S. The broader climate goals and targets we want to achieve, there's also a direct correlation with industrial policy that's being developed in the U.S. and what that means for investments and green jobs. Baines now works as a vice president for CIBC, the big bank, but he served as a politician, and I wanted to know what it was like to try and craft policy on climate change, which is such a divisive issue. So for me, uh, the objective was to develop industrial policy in terms of creating jobs through a what I call a green lens. So the objective was how could we generate new opportunities going forward addressing climate change in creating good quality jobs. And so my focus was around how do we create and develop a comprehensive technology ecosystem that included climate technologies and how do we scale them up? And so I spent a lot of time in government uh, designing policies around that, uh, identifying programming to support that. Ultimately, I think the most meaningful thing I heard from Baines is that climate change has been difficult in part because the effects don't always occur locally. And he wrote an op-ed for the Financial Post where he went into this. He talked about how floods in Pakistan that have been caused by climate change are not disconnected from the climate change happening in Canada. That is, you can't necessarily say that emissions in Canada cause climate change effects in Canada because it's a global phenomenon. That has to be one of the trickiest parts of trying to craft policies as a politician. I agree with that assessment, and, and that's why I decided to start off uh, my opinion piece talking about the floods in Pakistan, thinking about my grandfather and his place of birth. And it just reminds me of not only what's happened there, but the unprecedented displacement of millions of people and the loss of life. Thousands of people have passed away because of these floods, but also the heat waves in Europe that we saw this summer, truly unprecedented. The droughts in Africa, again, we're actually witnessing climate change now. And because the science is so clear and because of social media in particular, we see stuff in real time and people understand that their actions is, has a direct correlation to what we're seeing unfold before us. Somehow, feeling the effects of climate change in real time may end up being a positive thing, even as it claims lives, destroys infrastructure and costs billions of dollars. Thanks for listening. In any case, that ends our show for this week. Thanks for listening to Down to Business. Thanks to Bryce Hall, who composed and performed the music and executive produced this show. To Pamela Heaven, Noella Ovid, and Victoria Wells for web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman, and Down to Business will return next week. Until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.